Welcome to Crossing Phase, the first podcast featuring a Christian and a Muslim talking religion and politics. My name is Matt Hawkins. I'm a former policy director of the Southern Baptist Convention, and my friend John Pinna joins me on this side of the screen. He's founder and executive director of Muslims for Muslims. This Crossing Phase podcast is a joint project between Roll Top Productions, that's my thing, and John Pinna's Muslims for Muslims. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the audio podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you're already listening to the audio format, thank you very much for listening and especially for downloads. Every little bit helps and we're pleased to let you know that we're now showing our video selves on YouTube. Yeah, uh, you might not want that, but you can see what we look like now and you can always turn us off and go back to the audio if if we freak you out. So, John Penna. Matt, how you doing, bud? I'm all right. You? you were very clear on saying this is the, this is not me at the beginning right. of the podcast. <laughs> In case you're wondering, the, in case you, anybody's wondering what, who the other face is on, on screen here. If I put on a baseball cap, I, I, I would challenge you that I'm a bearded guy over here. Listen, if I put on a baseball cap, I fit right in in the South. Right in. It's just when I open my mouth, that's the problem. And the second I open my mouth, that's it. So I'm in trouble. And the, I can't mind my own business. You know how that goes. So I, do. I, I would I get do. involved in something. So. <laughs> Real fast, I get involved in some kind of shenanigans, you know. The, you, know you, just can't, you just can't help yourself, can you? Well, I've seen some pretty amazing stuff. I've been visiting some buddies in, in uh, North Carolina and Kentucky. Oh, you know, a guy, what is a guy doing with two or three uh, you know, refrigerators in the back of a car, in the back of a truck? You know, like, I, and then he's stopping. He's not delivering them. He's stopping for something else. You know, stopping at a McDonald's and then hanging out in the parking I'm just like, what is this guy doing with all these refrigerators? Where's he going? You know? So I don't know if I would be able, I, I spent some black, quite a lot of time in the South and I, you're a curious guy. You're going to ask questions. You're just a curious guy, John. That's it. You know, so like I said, I can fit in until I get involved with other people's business, but I think I'd be all over it. I think I'd be all over the rumor and innuendo and you know, the, the small town business be like, what's this guy up to? What's he doing? Who's this over here? How come the cell phone doesn't work in this stretch of the road? But it, if you walk around, it, it works. So, I don't know. All right. So, we wanted to talk some headlines. We did our previous video episode with our friend Sengay. Sengay Searing, the Institute for Gilgit Baltistan Studies. We talked about Kashmir and the, the, you know, the craziness that's happening there right now. The, Pretty fascinating. This, so, that was our area. Yeah, yeah, that was that was our first uh, on-screen time for uh, crossing phase. But this is another first because we're basically going to do our 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 political rants, I guess, right? What, what our, a, our, our headline out. edition, our, our headline edition, uh, which we've done in audio content in, in the past, yeah. but it's the first video time that we, we're gonna we're gonna break into the the headlines and the current events and uh, and just you and me with, without a guest. Yeah, we'll sort of try to hold, hold our own with each other and you know, show that two different faith groups can chat, two different uh, cultural backgrounds, North and South can, can talk about the business and, and still walk away with friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so you were on the Twitters last week and you saw one of my evangelical friends. Yeah. One of my, I don't know, should we, should we, should we call him out by name or not? He's a, it's up he's to a, you. He's a he's a head of a of a conservative think tank in Washington. He, he's he's a nice guy. He's been very encouraging to me. In yeah, and I, I think I like I like him. I think I think he's crux, a bad guy. The crux is not so much him, but uh, the observation that he was making on Twitter that you take issue with. So let's let's get into that. It was a, a, a tweet that said, "I've, I've you know I've been." It was, it was, he basically said in all of his travels as an evangelical, he's never seen politics being preached at the pulpit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> either, either the, the, it's just, it's just, a, it just doesn't, it's just complete falsehood. I mean, first of all, it might be true to his experience. You know, that's an easy way to get around it. But in this, in this era, in the Trump era, the, and, and I would even say maybe, maybe before the Trump era, you could get away with saying something like 
but he, it's, it's just an irresponsible and strange thing. It's like saying, um, you know, all those people, all those Protestants that went to church in the South during slavery, you know, never heard anything about slavery at the pulpit. Never heard any. It's like saying those, those guys that, uh, that were murdered. Maybe a different story. Ah, it's an, we're talking about a national issue. Here's, let's just talk the facts. So I, I, say what you want about Pastor Paul and Pastor Jeffers. Say what you want, but at least they're not lying. They're, they're at the pulpit preaching, and, and Pastor Paul is an appointee at the White House. Evangelicals are heavily involved in politics. On a, on, we're not, talk, not talking about a, a daily basis. We're talking, about, we're talking about heavily embedded in the governmental process where we have an executive order to appoint religious, religious leaders in each agency. And I'm not going to get into whether or not we should have religion involved in government because I'm somebody who believes that there should be separation of church and state, but it's very important to understand religion. And most, I think most careers don't understand the nuances of different religions. So, right. I agree with but, that. Yeah. And, and so we've I think seen, religious we've training, seen most of that. We, we've seen that up close. Uh, right. which is right. at, at its best, if it's functioning properly, it's a, it's a decent, um, it's a decent concept for the faith-based offices across the federal administrations. That effort has looked different and it's kind of ebbed and waned and it's done better. It's done worse in different eras, but theoretically uh, I'm not opposed to having some sort of, uh, religious gatekeeper, religious translator uh, between the public and a federal bureaucracy uh, or any government right. bureaucracy who just doesn't get uh, religious people. Yeah. I mean, the question is who and who does that? And that's I've the, had conversations with, yeah, I've had conversations with you know, friends and colleagues um, in the, in the, in the religious, you know, religious space who and, and I, I had this one conversation with a, a gentleman, an evangelical gentleman, when I was complaining about the appointments at USERF. And at this point, it was all Christians. And, uh, and he goes, and this is the United States Commission for National Religious Freedom. And he goes, well, Christians are really, I don't have a problem with, with, with being all the appointees, all the commissioners being Christian, because they're really the, the people that are most equipped to advocate for religious freedom. <laughs> and I go, I just, I, was, I go, do you hear the words coming out of your mouth? I go, I go, what does this guy know about Islam? What does this guy know about the, the nuance? I mean, I'm writing, I'm in my second peer review uh, with my article, uh, maybe the uh -huh. third peer review. And all I can say is I hate my peers. So <laughs> I can just, just, maybe just tell you that. Right that's, now. that's supposed to be part of the process, right? right. <laughs> You're supposed to take your lashings through the gauntlet of peer review. I mean, I appreciate all the comments and I appreciate the thoughtfulness and the time people have taken to read. I'm not, they're not going to, I'm not going to minimize uh, their effort and their time, but oh my God, some of the some of the comments are just vicious. I mean, it's just it's a lashing. Anyways, um, but in government, I think that there's a difference between religious training, right, uh -huh. and understanding the nuances of religion, and then integrating religion into government. Uh, that separation churches. Right. And I, yeah, I would say there's not even a fine line. I would say it, knowing. Religion is, there's plenty of experts in Islam that are not Muslim, okay? Uh, uh, you know, one of my very, very, very close friends and, and colleagues, uh, Jennifer Bryson, who's, who's uh, at the Hudson Institute, is it not, she's a Catholic, and, and she's, she's an expert in Islam. And you can't, I, very hard, but very, very few people can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with her. So I think that as subject matter experts can float around because the criticism is, well, Muslims want to get in embedded here or, or Baha'is or somebody wants to get embedded in the government and change it. Um, and, uh, but back, and, and, and that's, I just don't think that's true. I think it's a subject matter just like any, anything else. And the nuances of each religion within the sects of different religion, of each religion is so, it's so massive that you need multiple subject matters from experts from multiple religions going in there and, and going and, and unpacking all those pieces. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about someone, an evangelical, who's saying he's never, never seen it at the pulpit, politics at the pulpit. And I, I just can't, 
I've, I go to, I go to evangelical churches. It's not like I'm saying I've never been, I go on a semi-regular basis at, at least every other month. I'm at an, I'm at an evangelical and I'm regularly at Christian churches all the time. So, so, um, and, uh, you know, it, I, there's no mosque here in Kingston. Uh, that's, there's one maybe down the road, but it's not. Eh. And then there's one down in Beacon. <laughs> well, it's, it's the same thing with you guys, right? Would you, would you pop it into a, true. To a, Catholic, a Catholic church, you know? Um, it, there's, there's a nuance. There's cultural communities that go to mosques. Uh, and I've, I'm, if, I go to the, the, if I go to the masjid up in, in, uh, was it, in Albany, you know, it's all Pakistanis, um, so, and which is fine. I'm not saying there's anything against Pakistanis, but you walk in and I'm what's Roshni, which anybody who's Pakistani will laugh at that, uh, which means I'm glowing white. So, uh, and right away I don't fit in. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a guest. And, uh, and everybody goes, what is he here? That's the first thing to see. Second, they think, okay, he's FBI. Third, they go, um, you know, is he, is he converting? That's the, that's the other thing. Um, or they say, I'm wearing a Cindy hat, and they go, oh, he must, oh, he, he, this poor thing must be lost. Uh, he must be, you know, an Afghan. So I think the challenge is, is that we have a statement, and we're, I think any of this would be fine pre-Trump era, but post-Trump era, we've got pastors, like I said, in the, in the White House. We've got regular, regular podcasts, uh, tweeting of, of, and, and, uh, and posting of sermons from the pulpit. And unless this guy is under a rock somewhere uh, and, and has, doesn't have any digital media and, has, and is not going to, he's going to just like some of the country bumpkin sort of places that aren't plugged in. I can't see how this guy who's in Washington ha- has not heard any politics from the pulpit. And then I think the other thing is defining what politics are. So, Sure. If you talk about the sanctity of life, and then you start talking about pelvic, pelvic, pelvic politics, you're there now. You're, right. you're there. Yeah. Um, you're influencing, you're, you're taking something pelvic politics, and you're saying sanctity of life, then you're getting into abortion, and you're getting to that issue. So I don't even know how you get, out, get away from that. And in my tribe, it's, it's you know, we're, there's, there's always something going on where... I'm not going to say on a regular basis, it's been a while since I've been to the masjid, where the, 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 the sermon is generally in response to news, in response to something that's happening at present day. So, sure. and, and so are sermons. So there's no way mm. that, that Depends this on the guy, church. Right, but you know, it could be a community-based thing. But a lot of times there's something, like let's just talk about the pandemic. That's, a, that's become a hyper-political issue. And people are talking about masks and covering yourselves and being safe and being safe to others, you know, yeah. that whole business doing to others. And all that has a political overtone right now, even if it's not explicit, it's implicit. And right. so I think I'm doing being real nice here on this one. Cause I don't know. I just, but I just don't think, I think it was a flat line. Well, so first of all, I take your observation, um, Seriously, and I think other Christians ought to too, because you're basing your uh, a lot not you have personal experience uh, visiting Christian churches, but on this issue, a lot of what you're seeing is in digital media, social media, the Twitterverse, which we of course recognize is not not completely representative of the real world. And uh, true, I I'm gonna agree. I've I've heard political sermons. Uh, in my lifetime in evangelical services, I rarely have ever heard. Um, it's it's help, helpful right now. You said talk about what is political. Um, I like to make sure that we're talking about uh, partisan versus political, right? So you mentioned right. the sanctity of life issue, right? That's that's clearly political. Quote and I did that on purpose. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Not, that's fair. No, no, it's, know, a, it's not, a good not, example. Yeah, yeah. It's so a good like example. Jumping um, anti-abortion or pro-abortion. I'm just saying yeah, yeah, sure. that, that issue is something that's passionate about your when, community. Right. You know, once you engage any kind of public policy issue, that can be deemed sometimes accurately, but also sometimes with an edge of uh, censorship, basically when it's right. t- termed political. Right. So, sure. um, and you see this in in different 
places, right? So uh, if you're uh, sometimes in the pro-life community, uh, if you hear a sermon on, say, abortion, sanctity of human life, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention has uh, issue-based uh, calendars, uh, issue-based Sundays, or they're like emphasis Sundays right. um, that have been on on the, the convention calendar for decades now. And one of those is Sanctity of Life. And it's a it's a Sunday where uh, churches are encouraged to uh, focus on that issue um, and maybe deliver a sermon, um, work on some kind of fundraising, uh, advocacy support, that kind of thing. Many people Sunday, would see that as Sanctity Sermon. Yeah, Sanctity of Life Sunday. Um, and, you know, it's not a precise Sunday. It's typically around uh, January 22nd, which was the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Um, some churches take that and do it on that closest Sunday. Some people move it. It's all a suggestion. A lot of churches don't participate on that. Uh, we also have emphasis Sundays for like gambling and uh, racial reconciliation. Um, but all I have to say, uh, you, could, you could take another issue. You could talk about immigration. And some people would say that's political. Um, and on the one hand, it's right because we're talking about public policy. So we're talking about the generic political, right? Um, but you're not necessarily taking in a, a partisan frame necessarily. A pastor might, but on either issue, on any issue, um, the best the pastor can do is, is what we call exposit scripture. Um, preach the meaning of the text, and if the meaning of the text applies uh, right. to a, a, a contemporary um, public policy issue, we welcome that by and large. Um, some people would call it political. What you see sometimes in, in Christian churches are people that use that label political to shut down conversation about it, right? And so if you don't want to hear a sermon uh, or a lesson on the sanctity of human life, on the abortion issue, then uh, some people will label that as political in a way that pastors and churches shouldn't touch it because it's political, right? And, but likewise, if uh, you hear a sermon or a lesson on immigration policy, right, and talking about recognizing human dignity in immigrants, then other people who might be opposed to that particular stance on the issue uh, would label that as a political thing. Um, on the one hand, it's accurate. On the other hand, you have to watch for uh, basically what I think is a, it's a proxy war that tries to shut down conversation about a contemporary issue. Um, set all that aside, uh, a third category, which I think is probably what our friend on Twitter was talking about, is during an election season, uh, are you anticipating pastors using sermon time to talk about a current election um, and trying to influence their congregation to vote. Um, and I am with our friend on Twitter. I think that number one, it happens. You see it publicly. Um, but I also don't think it's as common as the social media environment um, tends to portray. I'm going to take two events and I'm going to try to, marry this in, in a way in which I would think most of us who are non-evangelical are looking at it. So arguably two of the most pivotal events, pivotal events in the last 20 years would be one, 9-11, two, Trump being elected. Mm -hmm. So let's just take those two events. I, as a Muslim, have to answer for and deal with all the results that came out of all of the dividends that came out of 9-11. Sure. And a lot of the jackassery that people say as a result of 9-11. And I mean for my own people. So like I got, I get slammed all the time for what Dr. Syed has said, who's the president of ISNA, the Islamic Society of North America, where he said at the podium that we, meaning Muslims, want to change the constitution. I don't even know. In did, he, what, did he have specifics? Lots of people want to change the constitution. Right. So, so number one, yes, everybody, you can change the constitution. It's, you know, All the amendment process. So that's possible. You get but a lot of states you, to ratify it. It's extremely right. difficult. It's extremely difficult to do it. So you, one is you can change the constitution. Two is um, I understand that 
and I have a problem with him saying it because at this point, it's just not the smartest thing to say. Let's just start with that. <laughs> You're like, okay. because not helping, not helping. Well, look, you can't argue with the uh, uh, history of, of Isna and, and where it comes from. All right. So it has Muslim Brotherhood roots uh, and, uh, and, and those, they may have been quashed or may not have. But the fact is, is that it, it's a problem, um, their history. And, and so, and we're in this post 9-11 world where, you, and I don't, I, don't like to, I don't even like to talk about Islamophobia because it's not the, really the, the right term. People actually are scared of Muslims. So the challenge is that people talk about Sharia taking over the constitution, right? And taking over the, the law, the land, which it's, it's, it's very easy to target 1% of the population and say, let's hammer this 1% of the population. It'll elevate, it'll sell me to sell books. It'll allow me to position myself correctly. And uh, they're 1% of the population, so they really can't, their votes don't matter and they're not really going to come after me. But we do have members of our tribe who are actually creating questionable comments and saying questionable comments and creating a questionable space for Muslims instead of sort of building bridges, right? And that's a very political statement. But then, and so we have to answer, I have to answer for all the Muslim stuff. And I'm on the front lines of security in Islam all, all the time. Uh, um, I mean, that's my business. So the challenge is we've got, a, Trump gets elected, evangelicals elect him. This is not, a, this is a fact. Uh, even if you're never Trumper, you're probably voting for him. This is because his policies. Well, you and, and I wouldn't go that you, far. Well, even if you're never Trump, or you're still benefiting from from the policies, and so the policies that you pick to slay him on uh, are are um, calculated very carefully. Uh, but you do have active participation of the evangelical community in government to appoint to positions, and not only that, it's it's rammed down all of our throats. Uh, on a regular basis, it's in the news. It's on a and and I understand your whole thing about the media because we get slammed on the media all the time. But then on top of that, we have a a, a president that is that is promoting the evangelical the evangelical narrative, and I know it might be called what's it called prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. Prosperity yeah. gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I was joking with a friend of mine about how many Bible thumbs does it take for to get the to win the lotto. Um, and so it, it may not be pulpit preaching, but it's kind of like pastor pulpit adjacent. Am I right? So I, there, are, there are at least two ways to look at this. And I think plausibly three. Uh, number one both, both is of our communities have elephants in the room is what I'm saying. Yeah, sure. That's fair. That's fair. Events. So the, as for the high profile stuff that you see that pastors are out stumping, uh, politically speaking, uh, in the context of a, of an active electoral, uh, process, um, that happens and you can see it. Um, and they're typically outspoken on other issues as well. And, and so you see them, see them do that. I think by and large, given the bulk of, of Christian churches included and, and even evangelical churches, I think that's an outlier. Uh, I just, I just think that example, though high profile and you see plenty of it, I think, uh, on, on the large scale of things, um, that's, that's rare. Uh, number two though, I do think. Um, well, there are, let's, let's take that example of, of what I would call a partisan church, right? So a, a pastor in a church that um, is fr- feels free and uh, uh, unhindered from associating itself with a political party or candidate. Hmm. It's a, it's a, I would label, label it in shorthand as a partisan church. Um, sure. It's probably one political party or another. Uh, it happens on both sides of the aisle. Um, in, in the Trump era, you're seeing a, a higher, higher profile versions of, of Trump supporters in the Republican Party and all that, but it happens on the left too uh, and has, has happened in the past. Um, but then there are a lot of churches, I think are 
more numerous than the partisan churches uh, who most of the time I call silent churches. They're silent on politics, meaning uh, for a number of reasons, the, the pastor in particular and the church generally uh, doesn't talk about political issues. Um, now, outliers, they, they might still um, engage, say, the pro-life issue from time to time. Um, but by and large, they don't engage politics at all. And on the one hand, the good news for those silent churches is that their membership probably looks more like um, their local community, politically speaking, right? So you probably have more, a more balanced mix of uh, Democrats, Republicans worshiping together on a Sunday. But those individuals, my argument is, my theory is that those individuals are not any themselves, they're not any less partisan and the membership of the partisan church. Why is that? Their pastor's not preaching. Um, they're not endorsing politicians. They're not endorsing political parties. They're, if anything, uh, keeping their mouth zipped closed on political issues. Well, my point is that when you don't hear anything from the church, we leave members of those churches susceptible to political influences from everything other than the church. And so 24 well, seven it, news channels, uh, social media, it's an interesting, family, it's an right. Interesting, and so it's a, yeah. that, that yeah, we, the vacuum, you know, you know this, that we've talked about these things before the vacuum is going to be filled, right? So yeah. my, my political conscience is going to be influenced by something. Well, and if my church is not speaking to it, um, however you, however it should or ought to, the fact is if a church doesn't speak to it, I'm getting my political views from everything else. From everything else. And, I, well, and everything else I can pick and choose from and craft it myself. And so it's this Western individualism that kind of, you know, that really Western individualism run amok. Uh, so I can indulge myself in whatever political issues I want, my, whatever political theory I want to, and my church is not going to uh, provide any kind of check on me. Yeah. The way it might on, say, um, in a personal uh, discipleship in a personal context, um, you know, more, more um, individual um, Christian living and that kind of sense. Right. Well, well, I mean, there's a, there's a, the one item that I was going to mention is this article in religion news service that says, well, by staying silent, you're actually making a political statement in churches. That's another criticism of the evangelicals. So it's like, you know, we're, there needs to be some consulting between Muslims and evangelicals because we've been dealing with this maybe a lot, a lot longer than you. I mean, Trump has only been around for three and a half years. So in the last 20 years, Muslims have been forced to figure out where they are politically and forced where they are in the political issues uh, by virtue of like survival of the community uh, in America, particularly. Um, you know, I, you I and I have discussed in the past is I, I think it's understandable, number one, and number two, short-sighted. That maybe is a yeah. topic for another time. I, I just, so I think that the, you know, it's, it was an interesting criticism. I think it's unfair. It's, it, I, I, again, it, we were talking about slavery and, you know, churchgoers going, it's going during this, you know, before the civil war going to church and, and you know, saying like, well, I, mean, I never heard, heard anybody promote slavery at church. Well, it's all around you. Um, or the Salem witch trials where, uh, you're, you're, you're essentially murdering women because of property rights. Yeah. Well, and, so like, and well, the, the slavery is another good example, actually, because on the one hand, you did have active, um, the abolitionists, uh, John Brown, yeah, but, but on the, preacher, uh, on the, yeah, but on the purse in the, in the defense of slavery, you have some really heretical scriptural interpretation that perpetuated the thing. Number one. And then number two, the whole orbit, again, silent churches yeah. who may not have preached pro-slavery, but they did nothing to combat it, right? And so that in and of itself is a problem. And we're still dealing with that today in the, in the current racial context. Yeah. Um, but uh, particularly, I mean, that was, that's what, that's, those are the churches that Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail was addressed we to. The, we get it all Churches the that were silent. We get it all the time in, because wh well, how come there's no comments about Islam, about what, when there's a terror act or when there's, in many cases, I'm standing alone. The, there's, I don't have the, the sheikhs. I don't have 
you know, moms, I don't have them speaking out about what's going on. And in many cases, as soon as somebody flies over and is wheels down in America, they're all about religious freedom and all about multi-faith, but then they go back to their countries and enjoy a reputation of being, uh, being violent towards any other faith group. <laughs> Let me put it that way or advocating for violence. So, you know, we, and we deal with it all the time. I think in our community where it's, it's, you know, there's an, a nexus of when you're trying to go to a place of worship because you want, you want food for the soul. You're trying to get somebody to say something. My mother would always say this, you know, I, she goes, I don't know what that, I don't know what was said out there, said up there because they're not speaking to me and I didn't come back with food uh, to inspire me for the rest of the week. Right. And so there's, 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 I think there's a quality within places of worship for that. And I think that makes sense of why you don't delve into the political issues or don't deal with the issues in front of you. But I would argue that our community since 9-11 is been in, in, in peril. And I would also argue that your community since the election of Trump has been in peril. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's been in peril since, since the election of John F. Kennedy and it's a post-Protestant America. I don't know. But Inside jokes, that's... John. Inside jokes. <laughs> so um, <laughs> we'll have to post that article because I just, I, I had no idea that existed. So maybe that's the, the throwback issue. to an earlier episode a couple of seasons ago. So continue. Yeah, where a journalist argued that it's post, that everything pre-Kennedy was Protestant era America and everything post-Kennedy was uh, or after Kennedy was a post-Protestant America. So, um, and we discussed those components. We'll have to put the link in there. Uh, so your community is, is divided. And, and, and admittedly, there's um, the president that's been endorsed by the community has uh, a questionable personal background and can Christians endorse somebody that has a history like this who's not ex really promoting living a Christian life, but not only that, promoting uh, Christian values in by example, but is instituting policy that theoretically is going to benefit the community's views on politics. And so I think that, that that's caused the, uh, a, 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 a tremendous struggle within the community and the community's in peril as a result of it. And therefore, comments like this are not helpful and they make they make somebody like me who's looks at somebody like this uh who's in charge of uh you know media who's a leader within the community seem that he's completely out of touch or indifferent to all the changes that are happening around him which our community is continuously under siege by that we are uh, oblivious to a lot of the changes that are happening around us and we don't address them in real time um, if we address them at all as they relate to other faith groups and 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 the west in particular so you know it, it that's that's that was that's kind of where all this stuff came from but i don't know would you agree that your community's in peril as a result of the trump administration i mean it depends on what you mean by peril i think uh if if i if i interpret what you mean correctly i would say that long term our community having embraced trump the way we have i say we loosely um reputation of the evangelical community having embraced trump i think is going to brand us in a really unhelpful way for years to come uh, maybe a generation or two uh, and i think that's if you mean if you mean in peril in that sense yes I agree. We're all uh, eyes are on the evangelical community globally. Yeah, I think it's it's just too, like the Muslim it's, community. Yeah, it's too early to know exactly what that's going to look like, and I, I hope it's minimal. I hope a lot of people forget this episode of of evangelicals and politics, um, but I'm I'm fearful that that it's not uh, because all the all everything that that goes along with Trump. Um, uh, is gonna is sticks to everything he touches and and to everything to everyone that that embrace him. Um, right. That that's true of Trump in a way that I think has been not as true with previous presidents, um, right? Uh, and right. 
it's also true of of how the media has has treated Trump, which I'm also critical of. Um, there's kind of a symbiotic relationship there. So they criticize him. Um, but if he walked outside and said the sky is blue, they would call him a liar, right? And like it's 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 pretty yeah. like he can't. It, things that are actually credible that he he has done uh nobody can parse the difference it's just all bad all terrible all the time and frankly there's a there's often truth to that um but i think you know the the most vocal uh anti-trump folks um and people who uh, particularly in a lot of the prominent mainstream media environments they're not helping right um, they don't. They haven't taken any time in the past three to four years to understand, by and large, understand why uh, a lot of Americans voted for the guy. Um, they they've zeroed in on on the most nefarious reasons, um, much of which is true. Um, but there's a lot of reasons there, particularly you know the economic stuff in the Rust Belt that has very little to do uh, with racism and, and right. really frustration with, with uh, eight years of Obama policy. Yeah. And it's hard to hold on to the white house for, you know, for, for three terms. Um, that's a historic anomaly when that right. happens. And so like, there's a lot of factors that, that folks really haven't taken into consideration. And so to lump, you know, a lot of Americans, including evangelicals in with, with the Trump thing, I think on the one hand is unfair at the same time, uh, the embrace of Trump by prominent people wearing the evangelical label. We might dispute what it, it, what it means and what's accurate about that label. But the fact is high profile people wearing the evangelical label uh, have embraced him in such a way that I think, yeah, it's going to be detrimental to our movement uh, for quite some time. Much like our community who's embraced <laughs> Muslim Brotherhood and all these other people that, uh, that we're dealing with, you know, like, what do we do? What do you do when there's a world leader who's, I mean, the Hagia Sophia, my, you know, we lost, I lost my campaign on that. I was working, like I said, with Mustafa Akhalan to, um, to try to stop that. Now I'm trying to establish a prayer, a multi-faith prayer space in the Hagia Sophia. Like, yeah. you know, okay, in America, there's a lot of churches, but a lot of churches have multi-faith prayer spaces for different mm -hmm. faiths. Yeah. So why don't we just do that? But I don't know if the Turkish government's going to roll on that one. We'll see. It's, it's a tough <laughs> deal. Good luck, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, um, so yeah, I, I appreciate the comments, man. I mean, I, I when it comes to when it comes to this this balancing the evangelical community's identity with the in in the Trump era, you, you know, how are, how are you gonna? What do, what's your suggestions for a church like so community based uh, pastoring or I'm not sure you go is is going to happen and that's fine but when it comes to politics and when it comes to the responsibility of the community to especially somebody like this a high profile profile person it has to be a little bit more careful wouldn't you say about how he is characterizing what is going on within the community when there is such an explicit example of yeah. faith in politics particularly from that from your particular tribe and and you have to like i don't i don't i don't I don't take anything for granted when it comes to speaking about my community with others. I don't assume that you know the difference between Ahmadi and Ishmali and a Hanbali and a Jafri. I, I don't assume that you know the differences between that um, and, and what's going on within our community. So that has to be explained, which is what this podcast is about. So I mean, is it, you know, what, what's your, what's your, what's your suggestion? One for the community, two for when it comes to pastors, pastors talking about this type of thing. And three, when it comes to making sort of these, these national statements, isn't there a responsibility from, a, from a, a leader in the community who's involved in media and how he depicts the community in a way that is genuine and fair and I don't mean fair to pander to his own tribe because there's a lot of that going on. I'm talking to the rest of us out here who are, who are struggling with trying to balance, for example, religious freedom that's dominated by a, a Christian worldview, even though there is, a, 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 we're dealing mostly in Muslim countries and, uh, and 
you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, and I'll give you a good example. Miramar is a problem. Government sanctioned killing of Muslims on uh, tens of thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands, maybe. I can't, I don't know where, if it's reached the, the hundreds of thousands. Um, and it's genocide of Muslims. Haven't spoken about that at all in the International Religious Freedom Roundtable. And I've been trying to push the issue. Uh, last week at the International Religious Freedom Roundtable, evangelical Christians says we've got, we've got a handful of Christians in the Northern Miramar that's being persecuted. We need to focus on the Miramar issue. And, and so I am dealing with that, right? Front lines of faith advocating for all faiths, including Muslims. And you have the ridiculousness of a statement like that, 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 that impacts me, probably speaks to me differently than most people. But, um, and so my thing is suggestions for your community, suggestions for us who are trying to, you know, uh, distill these, these comments. Well, I'd say there are two themes. I, my suggestions for a local church um, are, are kind of twofold. There's one uh, that's an internal issue, um, and then there's an out, outward issue. The internal, uh, the lingo within Christian circles is discipleship. And um, I, I'm going to contend that there's, a, um, there's an avenue um, for Christian churches to disciple their members Specifically, they're what I call political consciences. And so um, that's, there's a whole orbit of stuff that churches by and large are not doing. Some pastors are doing like a really great job of it uh, periodically, but very few people have like condensed this into a kind of a curated playbook uh, for doing this. Um, one of the internal issues that I really liked uh, seeing pastors do is um, in the context of what we call corporate prayer on Sunday mornings, it's in the service. Um, they pray uh, when it's done really well. I think they, they pray for a whole gamut of things. They pray for their local congregation and particular issues inside, whether it's health and uh, um, healing and, and marriages and family and local community stuff. Um, pastors who pray for other churches in the area uh, genuinely, right? Because it downplays a competition, uh, which is usually pretty frequent in Christian circles. Um, and in that context, you also play, pray about uh, national and worldwide issues. And what's the benefit of that? It doesn't seem like much. It's a prayer. It takes a few minutes on a Sunday morning. Uh, the benefit of that is, number one, you're talking, uh, particularly if it's a pastor that's giving the prayer or anybody else, you're, you're using, uh, it's an opportunity to use pastoral language, use scriptural language about how to pray for our nation, about how to pray for uh, our neighbors, about how to pray for um, people who are far away from us, how to pray for uh, issues around the globe. You're using biblical language um, in a way that's repetitive every week, like a steady drip, and people are hearing that. Um, and when people are paying attention to that over time, um, it's like a healthy diet. I think they're gonna, you're gonna see, um, just as one example, you're gonna see people um, think about um, contemporary issues in a more biblical way, which is not partisan. Um, and I think that's one example. Um, there are others. Um, there are a lot of examples of what not to do. Don't endorse candidates. Don't endorse political parties. Uh, one of the shenanigans we see among some Christian churches is a pastor. We recognize that a, 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 it's a breach of IRS regulations to endorse a political party or candidate. But a lot of a lot of religious anymore, leaders have changed. <laughs> uh, no. Um, the White House would like you to believe it's changed. They had a whole campaign, right. what, two or three years ago that announced that the Johnson Amendment was undone. It's right. not true. Uh, the Johnson Amendment is still in effect. Uh, it's just the IRS, um, as it has done for years, is not enforcing it. And uh, that's the Johnson Amendment's a conversation for another time. But the, the, the point is the institution would get in trouble if a pastor um, would uh, endorse a candidate or by law it would be, if laws uh, were really being enforced. And Cardinal Donald um, Dolan just got in trouble with that with the Catholic Church. He endorsed Trump recently, uh, about yeah. two, three months ago, and the Catholic Church and the IRS, him for yeah. him. Yeah. Right. And the IRS isn't, isn't going to touch it. Uh, and what, what happens, a lot of these, these uh, past religious leaders will, and I've seen it done in my own circles, will endorse in their personal capacity. Hmm. Right? That's how they get around the legal issue. It's I'm a per, they can they setting off they're setting off legally speaking their their 
minister nonprofit hat and taking on the role of a private citizen. So I am a private citizen endorsing this candidate, which on the one hand, it skirts the legal issue, but we all know that the whole reason the endorsement is of value anyway is because of that religious leadership. Right. Um, political parties value endorsements from people who are influential. And so it's, to me, disingenuous for someone to do that, um, frankly. Um, now, I think it's also, I do think it's a, um, a, limita- a, a breach of free speech for the government to limit that. I think churches and religious leaders ought to make that uh, decision for themselves. But I think it's poor form because candidate endorsement is not... <laughs> It's in, in Christian circles. I don't think it's a, it's a scriptural thing. It's not something that's an ecclesiastic or something to do with the church. It's not a role of the church. Uh, a candidate endorsement is all about a political party. That's a tool of the political party. And it only benefits the political party and a political party for good or ill, even at its best day, when it agrees with you a hundred percent has zero obligation for the life of the church. Um, and so I just say stay away from that. So it's it's equally of what not to do as what to do. On the second thing, I'll, and I'll be brief, um, as far as like uh, speaking as a religious leader outside your own congregation, we really have to recognize the translation issue that has to that has to take place. We all think we're speaking the same language because we're speaking English, but it's a real it's a real um, uh, it's a real delicate kind of thing to do to express what a religious people believe about a particular issue to a community that doesn't not, not only doesn't hold the same values, but doesn't understand those same values. And so you have to be able to express yourself in a way that number one, your own congregation and community does recognize as being accurate to themselves, but also in a way that translates to others who don't share your uh, values. Um, and that's, that's a, it can be done. Um, at, at its best, that's what um, pastors in the public square can do. And there's some that are really good at it. Uh, but a lot of times, um, because of our silence for so long on so many issues, uh, most people don't have that, uh, that muscle developed in a way that they're ready to, when, when an issue finally flares up enough and they want to say something publicly, mo- most in our community haven't really developed um, that, that kind of linguistic muscle <laughs> to, to use a, a convoluted phrase, right? The, um, and, and so they often get themselves in trouble, either angry from uh, you know, the community outside the church or the, the church doesn't figure, doesn't think they've been accurately represented. And so uh, yet another problem um, when churches have taken a silent position, because eventually some issue is going to be, uh, uh, it's going to flare up enough either in the pastor as a person or a community that people get angry enough to finally, you know, want to do something about it. And unless you've had developed habits over the long term, um, you're, you're kind of out on a limb um, when you do that. And it's, it's three, a lot of times it's reactionary to things, right? So, you know, it's something happens here. So something that, you know, the, the, the burning of, of Qurans, for example, in Florida or something, you know, all these different things uh, get, get uh, become uh, hot button issues. And then the reactionary quality of it makes a political statement that may, that has ramifications. And if they don't have the muscle, like you're talking about, it can affect the, the, the community, all, both all communities on all sides. So, I mean, I appreciate you chatting with this. I like, I know you were a little Likewise. nervous. You thought I was going to, you know, get crazy. I'm never but- nervous with you. Yeah, well, you, you you've got my number. We got each other. Okay, numbers, so. I'm a little more nervous when we're not doing editing. <laughs> a little, I can't cut you out. Well, look, I'm pretty mellow, you know. So, as, no, you're uh, cool. This is a, this a worthwhile conversation. Uh, yeah, you, you can if you want. Yeah, sure. I mean, you're a professor now. Eh, instructed, right? instructor, adjunct, instructor, adjunct okay. part-time faculty. All right. I'm going to te- teach teaching intro to world religions at a local community college here this right, fall right. uh, to supplement my, my doctoral study. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. It'll be my that's, first that's formal exciting. teaching role. Uh, so I got a syllabus I got to put together and a big thick intro to world religions book that I got to, that I got to read through. Okay. Well, let me know if you need help. I'm, I'm happy to help yeah. you, you know, and we've maybe, got, maybe uh, I'll bring, maybe I'll bring you in on uh, on the Islam unit as a, as a special guest speaker. Faith in action. We can do something. So uh, here's, here's a, you know, we, we're, we've got a huge speaker list coming. So 
uh, I know that uh, our publicist is working hard on that and uh, we're always looking for sponsorship, right? So yes. uh, you have, you have a coffee cup, you know, we, I do. we need, we need my favorite, my favorite coffee shop from Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill neighbors will recognize this as Ebenezer's coffee shop over by yeah. Union Station. I understand yeah. that part of town's a ghost town right now during the pandemic, which is really sad. But this and they is need one to my sell little, coffee. My few, my few keepsakes that I that I had to take um, and, and and buy before I left DC a couple years. Yeah, ago. I was just saying, is always steal something when you leave before you leave your office. You stole the Ebenezer <laughs> coffee cup. I did not um, steal it, John. I purchased okay. it from the Ebenezer's coffee. Okay, oh, you know, as far as we know. Uh, so <laughs> anyways, I appreciate you taking the time and unpacking this a little bit. Um, we'll post some articles and, uh, like I said, we're looking for sponsors, uh, for, for the podcast. Um, and we'd like to, we're working on, uh, our speaker list and we're, we've got, a, a really a good six months of banking out appointments with some high level speakers from both and, of our uh, and look, if you're joining us for the first time on YouTube, uh, visit our website at crossingfades.com to get a sense of our program. And uh, you can go back to, I'll, I'll post the pilot episode in the show notes here. Um, that'll give you a sense of what, what this program's about. And uh, we'd welcome uh, your subscription um, to the audio download, the audio version of this podcast. We'd greatly appreciate it uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, and now YouTube. This has been Crossing Fades with John Pinna and Matt Hawkins, podcast of Roll Top Productions and Muslims for Muslims. See you next time, John. This has been Crossing Fades with Matt Hawkins and John Pinna a podcast of Roll Top Productions. If you like what you hear and would like to help defray the cost of the show, consider sponsoring us on Patreon by visiting crossingphase.com. Crossing Phase is available on all your favorite podcast outlets, including iTunes, Google Podcast, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. We'd appreciate your review of our program, especially in the iTunes store. Let us know what you think of the show via Twitter, at mthawk, at jtpinna, or at crossingphase. Music for this episode is courtesy Vajra, whose music is available at thevajratemple.com, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. Show notes for this episode and more are available at crossingfades.com.